Beginning in July of this year, we began a journey at Emmanuel of study in the Word of God on the subject of lament. And it has been transformative in our church in all kinds of ways. This was about a two-year um, journey for me. To be honest, I had not heard a lot about the subject. Uh, wasn't even sure, and, and don't, don't laugh at me, but I wasn't even sure how biblical some of it was as I began to look at it. But the longer I looked at it, the more biblical I saw that it was and was rather shocked that it had not been a part of my life for years. And this morning, what I'd like to do is just kind of touch on some subjects, and then we're going to be in Psalms 42 eventually. We're also going to be in Psalms 13, but let me just work through that as we get to it. I want to say this to you. For some of you in this room, maybe even a large majority of you in this room, this is going to be one of those subjects that you think, okay, like I'm not sure I understand this. But as you grow older and life comes at you and you're invested in someone immensely in a small church that God's called you to pastor, and that someone stabs you in the back and walks away from you, you'll understand lament a little bit better. Or when you and your wife or you and your husband struggle with infertility and you can't understand why God's doing that to you, you'll understand lament a little bit better. Or when you bury a child, you'll, you'll understand lament a little bit better. I'm not saying you're going to remember everything from this message this morning, but I want to encourage you, when life comes, when the arrows of the enemy come, when difficulty collapses all around you, and I'm not saying if, I'm saying when it comes. I want you to remember some truths about lament and at least go back to this. One of the things that's amazing about this subject is it is heavy in the book of Psalms. Now, what is Psalms to the Hebrew people? It's their songbook, right? Uh, the Psalms are loaded with emotion. Um, it's really quite amazing how God has placed that for us. It's also been amazing to me how the timing of this for our ministry has been unbelievably perfect. I, again, someone yesterday said, Pastor, this lament series was absolutely right on target when we needed it. Since it has begun, just in Lisa and I's life personally, we have had quite a number of difficult things take place. In our church family, we buried one of our longest standing members in our church during this series. We've had new diagnosis with cancer during this series. I got a, a text message yesterday from one of our ladies and said, my husband's cancer's back. It doesn't look good. He's probably not going to make it. When you get all of those things together, what do we do with it? What do we do... When the emotion of the moment causes us to say, 
God, what are you doing? And how do we take that? Is it even right to do that? And talk to God about it. Well, that's what I want to try to talk to you a little bit from here. It's interesting as we study um, America as a whole and even some of our churches, we've lost the ability, if you will, to weep with each other. Now, now we say weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice, but we don't actually weep with people. One of the podcasts I listened to in preparation for this message series the person doing the podcast wife had struggled with infertility, and I have a daughter who has struggled with that. And um, in the process, she finally was able to have a child, and some lady in a church said to her, well, when you have more than one, you'll understand what motherhood's about. The lady didn't intend it to be mean, But the lady who made that comment had never sat with someone who couldn't have children and wept with them. Because if you do, you won't make callous comments like that. Man, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to quote every author. I, I have all them footnoted in here. We don't have time to go through all that today. But one of the things also that we deal with, and, and guys, listen to me. Okay, We are taught, and you have probably been told at some point or another, real men don't cry. But can I remind you that every major character in the Word of God cried? Including our Lord. So get over the fact, guys, that we shouldn't weep. Because we should. It's, it's, it's something that we're supposed to do with people. Not just say, well, my brother, we're weeping with you. No, you're not. Like, when you actually get to love those people and invest your life in them, it won't be hard to weep with them. And that's part of what this is about. I love what one author said about this subject. For at least one reason why people are uncomfortable with tears and the sight of suffering is that is it a blasphemous assault on their precariously maintained American spirituality of the pursuit of happiness. Can I tell you that if your thought is that if I'm serving God and I do everything like I'm supposed to do, that everything in life will be perfect, you don't have the God of the Bible. Because actually, God's promised you difficulty. One author said, Too often Christians feel the pressure to pretend the gospel diminishes pain while others lament their pain void of biblical truth and hope. And both of those are wrong. Another author said, It's okay to cry, to grieve. To wonder why. To come to God with our doubts and fears. Our Heavenly Father can handle it. And in the end, He shows us grace and mercy. And He says, this book, the book that He was talking about, is a wonderful antidote to the feel-good, happy, superficial platitudes 
of so much of modern evangelicalism. So what is lament? What exactly is it for us? Well, one author defined it as the power of lament is the opportunity to express the sorrow we feel while also anchoring our hearts in the truth that we believe. It's okay to have sorrow. But when that sorrow is anchored in the truth that we believe, we find a balance in Scripture. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart, wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. God, how do these come together? Well, what are the steps to lament? I want you to understand lament is a prayer that really involves three things. And the young people at Emmanuel know this because we've gone over and over and over it. It involves complaint, request, and trust. Okay? Complaint, request, and trust. I want you to say that with me, all right? It involves complaint, request, and trust. I want to show you this to you. Look at Psalms 13. We'll be back in Psalms 42 in just a minute. Okay? This is a simple passage. By the way, not all laments in the book of Psalms are this easily laid out. Some of them are intertwined. You'll see some complaints and some trust and some request and back and forth. But notice verse, chapter 13, verse 1. Notice the complaint. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Now, is God actually going to forget the writer? No, but that's what they're feeling. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Lord, what are you doing and how long is this going to last? Complaint. Request. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. You know what's interesting? As we went through this series at Emmanuel, our people wrote laments and shared them publicly. And one of the laments that was kind of shocking to people was one of our faithful church members that had considered suicide. In a dark time. Lord, can I just sleep the sleep of death? Lest mine enemies say I've prevailed against him... And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. God, this is my request, Lord. I want you to do something. Notice the trust. By the way, when you look at the book of Psalms, you'll see the word but or yet or however when he transitions. Notice what he says in verse 5. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. By the way, the word mercy there is a Hebrew word that is almost impossible to unpack in our English language. It is a beautiful word. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Did you notice something? At the beginning, Lord, are you for, how, how long are you going to forget me? You're just totally absent from me and you've totally forgotten me. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Do you see the difference there? There is complaint, there is request, there is trust. That's the three-step process that God wants us to go through. By the way, it takes faith to pray a lament. 
to say, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I know that you know what you're doing. I'm confused. Lord, to me, right now, this looks cruel. It's what it looks like to me. You're like, are we allowed to talk to God that way? Apparently, because the book of Psalms is loaded with it. Now, the issue is, do I end up in trust? Let me just share a little bit of a personal story. Our third daughter has struggled with infertility for years. Finally, she got pregnant. And it was, to say a rejoicing time would be an understatement. We rejoiced with her. We knew for quite a while until finally they were far enough along that okay, we're going to announce it to the world. Christmas Day, this Christmas Day will be three years ago. She posted on Facebook and to her friends, God has finally answered our prayer and given us a baby. Man, the comments flooded in. People literally around the world were so excited because many had been praying. Six days later, God took that baby. Now, I'm going to tell you, from my perspective, as a frail human being, that seemed cruel. God, wouldn't it have been better if you not to give her one at all? But why get her hopes up and why let the whole world know and then take it away from her? But you listen to me. Though to this day, I do not understand... God is good. And he always does good. Though from my perspective, it doesn't seem like it. That is what lament lets you do. That's what lament lets you do. We could say more about that, but look at Psalms 42. I've entitled the message this morning, A Platform and Not a Pit. And I'll get to why I'm using that at the end of the message. And I'm going to try to hurry here. Psalms 42 and 43 really are deeply connected. But we're just going to look at Psalms 42. It's, it's a, if you will, a famous psalm primarily because of the first verse. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after the O God. As the psalmist works through this process, and and by the way, this is one of those psalms that the lament is not so clearly laid out, but it's all there. The psalmist is talking to his heart, telling it to go to God, to look to God. By the way, that daughter of mine was called in February by DSS, and they said, We have a mom that's going to have a baby in jail. There's no known family. And we want to know if you want it. And so, of course. So she goes to the hospital and sits there with this baby and brings the baby home to the hospital. A week ago Sunday, she gave it up. Because she didn't have any choice. A family member came forward wanted the baby hard God what are you doing 
why? Why not? Why don't just you don't give her a chance to begin with? Why are you going through this process? I want us to look at a number of things from this text and, and see this central truth. We must run to God even in doubt and hurt. Even in doubt and hurt. Truth number one. Lament works for someone genuinely wanting answers from God. We could say it this way, a thirst for Him. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist, desperate for God's sustaining presence, is like a thirst for water, one author says. Spurgeon says, ease did not seek, honor he did not covet. But the enjoyment of communion with God was an urgent need of his soul. He viewed it not merely as the sweetest of all luxuries, but as an absolute necessity like water to a stag. I have to have it. Do I genuinely want God and not just answers? Is God enough? One of the things that trust does. Trust is in the fact that I'm going to let God keep being God. We don't like to do that very much. Because we think in this situation, we know what's best. We would never maybe actually say that, but that's exactly how we live. Truth number two. Lament helps me deal with sorrow. Notice verse 3, my tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? We'll come back to that end part of the verse in just a little bit. Look at verse 7, deep calleth unto deep, at the noise of thy water spouts, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. We do experience sorrow, and that's okay. We don't sorrow as others which have no hope. Paul says that to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 4 and verse 13. Brethren, don't be ignorant. Why? Because those that are asleep, no, 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 don't be ignorant about them. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. It's okay to sorrow. There is much more that the Bible says about sorrow. We are not wrong to sorrow, but what we do with it makes a difference. Do I take my sorrow and run to God with it? I've had people at Emmanuel through this process say to me, I'm grieving, Pastor. We've had multiple people lose their mates. And they're like, is that okay? Like, as if if we grieve, we're somehow not being godly. Can I tell you that grief is godly? Our Lord grieved. And and we'll, we'll see... By the way, if you think grief is just about you, it is sometimes. But can I tell you, the whole book of Lamentations is about Jeremiah grieving over a country that has so utterly rejected God that he's standing before this utter destruction. By the way, our wonderful verses out of Lamentations chapter 3, your mercies are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. Whenever you see that on a poster... You see that behind a still stream, a pretty mountain scene, 
a cabin with a little smoke coming out. What it really should be in front of is a war-torn country with body pieces laying everywhere where people were so desperate that they ate their own children. Like, yikes. Are, are you serious? That's exactly what I'm... That is what Jeremiah is looking at. This is not a situation that's turned out all good for him when he says, your mercies are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. He's standing in the rubble of a people that had thumbed their nose against God for the last time. That's what's happened. Are we allowing ourselves to have biblical sorrow? Go into God and let Him hear what we're saying. Number three, lament helps me deal with my doubts. End of verse three says, while they continually say, Where is thy God? I love the verse in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. Matthew 11, 11, Jesus makes the declaration that of, of, of men born among women, there's not a greater than John the Baptist. But the context gives us a little bit of insight. The context says that the men, the disciples of John the Baptist, who, by the way, is sitting in jail and will not come out of jail, he's going to have his head chopped off before long. And he sends his disciples to say to the Messiah, Jesus, the one that he announced, I'm not worthy to unlatch his shoes. He sent them to say to him, are you really who we thought you were or do we look for another? Do you think John's doubting? We don't have to wonder. He is. He's sending guys to Jesus to say, I don't understand. Are you actually who you claim to be? Because... It doesn't look like it from where I'm sitting currently. And Jesus answers the question. We'll go back and tell him, da-da-da-da-da-da. And then he says, of those born of women, there's not a greater than John the Baptist. I don't know about you, but I'm really encouraged by that. If in the midst of John's doubts, but remember, what does John do with his doubts? He carries it to God. And when we do that, it's okay. Because it's in that moment that Jesus says, I don't know of a greater born among women. And by the way, he knows. I love the verse that says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Every single person in this room, at some point, will have some kind of doubts. Every one of us in this room. You're like, well, you mean students, don't you? Nope. I mean every faculty member in this room. At some point, has come to a point where you're like, God, I don't have a clue what you're doing. And it looks like to me, from where I'm sitting, that you don't have a clue what you're doing. And in case you're wondering, God, I'm hurting here. And I'd really like you to bail me out now. Now, it may not have been those exact words, but it's probably something similar. Whatever the circumstances, lament helps me deal with my doubt. What are we doing with our doubts? Do we run to God with them? Number four, lament allows me to pour out my soul to God. Look at verse four. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. 
For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God and with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept holy day. I didn't feel like doing these things, but I did it anyway because that was the right thing to do. And in the midst of this sorrow, in the midst of the fact that my heart was crying out, in the midst of the fact that people were saying to me, where's your God in all this? I still was able to go to God. I went to the tabernacle. I did what I was supposed to do. See, lament takes me to the right source. And it is truly the only source that knows and can help me. Psalms 18 and verse 6, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of His temple, and my cry came before Him even into His ears. Psalms 34 and verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. We could look at Psalms 3 as a lament of just this point alone. By the way, one-third of the Psalms are lament Psalms. Some believe it's one half, but at least one third. Are we pouring out our soul to God? Number five, lament deals with what my mind is saying and feeling versus what my faith says. I'm going to repeat that. Lament deals with what my mind is saying and feeling versus what my faith says. Look at verse five. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance in my God. Like why does the author say that multiple times? Because he's preaching to himself. Soul, why are you feeling this way? What is going on inside of you? You have hope in God. (laughs) But I want to tell you, there are many times in life when that hope in God doesn't feel like hope. It feels like disaster. It feels like depression. It feels like a crushing blow. I love what one author said. He says, the point the psalmist seems to be making is that there is no reason for his depression if God was his Savior. The fact that he repeated this several times shows the difficulty of internalizing this truth. He's continuously saying to himself, this is the truth, though I don't feel like it. This Hebrew word, refers to hoping or waiting on God. It's not a futile activity. The psalmist has faith that God will act and will bring deliverance. Has your mind and faith been at odds with each other? (laughs) Join the psalmist. God, this is what I'm feeling. (laughs) Well, we don't operate on feelings. Thank you, Mr. Spiritual. I know we don't, we're not supposed to operate on feelings, but every person in this room has operated on feelings before. And when those feelings come, I am to take those feelings and align them with my trust in God, and that takes a conscious act on my part. That doesn't come by default. I remember a particular difficult time 
at Emmanuel, actually. Remember walking around our auditorium and trying to pray. There was just really one thing I was praying because I couldn't pray for anything else. As one author described, I felt like I'd got my guts kicked out of me as a pastor. And I kept saying one thing over and over and over and over again. Like how many times? My guess is 40 to 50 times. I was quoting a scripture verse to me. It wasn't what I felt, but it was what was true. And my mind desperately needed to know what was true. So I kept telling myself, and then my mind would wonder, and I kept telling myself, my mind would wonder. I kept telling myself, my mind would wonder. I kept telling myself 40 or 50 times. Now, maybe you're not that stubborn, but this old flesh loves to jump up on us. And if we'll allow it to, young people, and for that fact, all of us faculty members, if we will allow it to, the devil would love to take us to a place of a lack of trust. Because it's what we're feeling nonetheless. Right now, this is what I feel. God, this is what I know about you, but this is what I'm feeling. Are we speaking truth to ourselves daily? I'm not talking about this quasi get in the mirror. You're great. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually the Word of God. And sometimes we just need to get back to this book and let it saturate our soul over and over and over and over again. Number six. Lament teaches me to praise even during sorrow and pain. It teaches me to praise. Notice what he says at the end of verse 5. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. How could the psalmist pray that? It hadn't happened yet. We know that by the beginning of the verse. He prayed it by faith. I know God's going to help me. Michael Jenkins in his book, The House of the Lord, Inhabiting the Praise, I'm sorry, the Psalms of Lament, says that words such as but and however are found in every lament because lamenting trust is not merely a belief or a conviction. It is a trusting despite what circumstances might lead one to believe. Psalm 77 verse 10, and I said, this is my infirmity but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. In the midst of my infirmity, in the midst of my disease, I'm going to remember my God. It teaches me to praise even during the sorrow and pain. In our sorrow, are we choosing to see God's goodness in things He's done for us before? Number seven. Lament helps me to focus on what I know about my God from the past. What do I know about my God? Well, verse 6 says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and from the Hermonites and from the hill of Mizar. I'm not going to go into the technical parts of this. There are multiple interpretations of this passage of Scripture. Some believe he could not get to the temple and therefore he was talking about that. But I think that either way, the point is still that he's remembering who God was that he couldn't get his mind to wrap around right now. 
Look at verse 8. Yea, the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night His song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. When the night comes, when it's dark, and when I feels like my soul is being crushed, I'm going to remember God. Do you remember what God has done? You're like, I don't think, I can't remember anything he's done for me. Really? Do, do you know him as, as your Savior? Did, let's assume for a moment that he's done nothing for you but the cross. Is that sufficient? If we really understand hell, it is. But the fact is, every person in this room, God's done far more for you than you even think about. We, we, could, we could just pull stats out, okay? Those of you that are the poorest kids in this room are richer than 90% of the population in the world. Matter of fact, the grave majority of you are richer than 95% of the population in the world. Don't tell me God hadn't been good to you. Get your eyes off of what's happening around you and get them on God. That's what the psalmist is telling us. Do I see God's character as consistent? We should. Number eight. Lament takes me to the source of my strength, even with questions. Even with questions. Look at verse nine. I will say unto God, my rock... Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? God says, even with the questions, God, what, what are you doing? Why have you forgotten me? Why are you letting my enemies say these things over me? Do you remember Job? Job says, I can go forward and I can't find him, and backward I can't find him, and on my right hand I can't find him, and on my left hand I can't find him. God has forsaken me. It is in that context that Job says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I I, I know that God's going to try me, and when he has finished, I shall come forth as gold. He knoweth the way that I take. I I can't see. It wasn't like Job had figured out what God was doing and where he was at. Job said, I don't care where I turn. God is nowhere to be found. But by faith, I know he knows the way that I take. And he does. Regardless of what's happening. We could talk a lot about Job, but we don't have time this morning. One author says, when he stops lamenting, Job ceases to reach out to God. And when he stops lamenting, he turns to wrong. And God has to correct him. See, the answer that God really wanted Job to see overall is that Job would get God back. Not that God had ever actually forsaken him. But God goes through a series of questions to Job, right? Okay, Job, let me just ask you a few things here. Like... Do you know where I keep all the storehouse of snow? 
And what about the timing of animal births? Did you know where that? And God goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on to tell him, I am God, you're not, trust me. When it doesn't look like you need to be trusting me, trust me, I know what I am doing. Are we allowing God to be our strength? Number nine, and lastly, lament recognizes that others will question God. Those enemies or those friends who do not know better, perhaps, will say to you in verses 3 and verses 10, Where is your God? What are you doing? I thought you were going to serve God. I thought you stepped out by faith. And now you can't pay your school bill? Where's your God? I thought you wanted, God wanted you to go plant the church in that location. How come it's been two years and you have two people? Where's your God? We could go on and on. The college has lost more former students in the last two and a half years than we did in our history prior to that. Some of you in this room were impacted by that. Why? I don't know. But I know God. You're like, that's not a good enough answer. Can I just tell you? That is a good enough answer. We just have to place our trust in it. We have to believe that God does know what He's doing even in the midst of our pain and discouragement and whatever else we want to fill in the blank with. One of the books I read during this study process, the man after losing a daughter and learning about lament says this about his wife. He said, I've seen mercy emerge within dark clouds as pain became a platform and not a pit. Hence the title of the message. Young people, I want you to listen to me very closely. As I said at the beginning of the message, it's not a matter of if difficulties coming. It's a matter of when. Some of you have already endured unbelievably hard things. And more may be coming. But in the midst of all of that, God does know what he's doing. Like, well, I just want him to tell me what he's doing. Sorry. He doesn't always do that. By the way, he doesn't owe us an explanation. Sometimes he gives us one. Sometimes he lets us see into just a little glimpse of what he's doing. But sometimes we don't get to see it all. And we just say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this difficulty. Forty years ago, tomorrow... 
as a 14-year-old little girl, my wife desperately performed CPR on her daddy. And he went into eternity. She was 14. Why? I don't know all the answers to those questions. He was an incredible soul winner. Her life with him, she says, I can only remember about one handful of days that he came on and not led someone to Christ. Why take him? I don't know. But I'll never forget, early on in one of our youth ministries, a young girl came to my wife and sat down beside her and said, I don't think you're going to quite understand all this, but I just got to talk to someone. And she said, I'm going to be homecoming queen next week. And my daddy's not going to be there. And I'm going to get married and he's not going to walk me down the aisle and he's not going to see my children. And my wife looked at that young lady and said, I know exactly what that pain feels like. God allowed just a little glimpse. But I don't know what all he's doing. God is only good. Period. And it's okay for you to go to him and say, God, I don't understand why this Why now? Why this timing? God, I just wished and fill in the blank and then say, but God, you don't owe me an explanation. If I don't ever get one, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to love you to the day I die. Because you're worth it. That's what lament is, guys. And some some of you need it now. Others of you won't need it, but you will. It's coming. Your God is big enough to handle it. Run to him. Run to him. Father, help us as your people to run to you in our, in our discouragement, in our depression, in our questions, in our, I don't know, God, what in the world are you doing? May we run to you. And declare, yet I will trust you.